In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. A question that tends to come up a lot in our inquirers class is why our Lord needed to be baptized if he was without sin. This is an insightful question because the answer highlights the unique character of our Lord's baptism when seen in the context of other rituals of baptism at that time. In particular, there were two main practices of baptism among faithful Jews. A proselyte baptism observed one time in a ritual of conversion to Judaism from an outside religion, usually practiced among mainline Jews in the cities. Then, there was a recurring baptism of moral cleansing after any lapse into infidelity to covenant law. This rite belonged to a rigorous monastic community by the Dead Sea, of which John the Baptist was likely a part. The residents of Judea showed some confusion over the baptism of John at the Jordan River because he and his practice did not clearly align with either of those other baptisms or the people who practiced them. For one, he was of a very well-known and established priestly bloodline, yet lived as an ascetic in the wilderness. He was not clearly aligned with the urban or wilderness sects of Judaism. For another, his baptism was for the repentance from sin, and yet it was only observed one time, and not recurringly. It was not for conversion, but neither was it a regular devotional practice. In short, John's baptism was a ritual that was in want of a ready significance, because the meaning of it had not yet been revealed. It is with this baptism that St. Mark begins his gospel. If we're not careful, we can easily skip past the first line of the gospel lesson, quote, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Yet it is no mere title or introduction. Like St. John, St. Mark deliberately draws his audience to a powerful and immediately recognizable phrase in Jewish spirituality, the beginning. This is the first word of Genesis, the opening of the Holy Scriptures, invoking the audience to remember the image of the Spirit of God hovering over the waters before there was even light. Standing at the end of that Scripture tradition, and before Jesus as he approaches the waters of the river, St. John the Baptist stands as the final and greatest Levitical priest and prophet of Israel, the culmination of the whole covenant life of Israel. Drawing St. John into his service, our Lord assumes to himself and dignifies that whole history of his people by employing it as the occasion and as the minister of revealing this new beginning, this new Genesis. Much more than a ritual of remembrance, Christ's baptism is the beginning of God's work of new creation. The beginning of the gospel for St. Mark is a revelation of the whole gospel in a single elegant revelation, sometimes called the theophany. Jesus comes to his ancient chosen people, figured in John the Baptist, 
He goes down into the waters, a figure of the world before creation and of the world descended into sin and darkness and in need of a new life. He descends under the waters as a figure of his impending death, the only time in the whole scriptures that Jesus is ever under the water. He rises again from the waters as a figure of his victorious resurrection, and the Holy Spirit descends upon his body as a figure of the Pentecost of his body, the church. As the descending dove alights upon the sun, the Father declares his sonship through the coming of that spirit, a prefiguring of the adoption of all Christians as co-heirs with the natural Son of God. The passage ends with the Father vocally declaring his good pleasure with his Son as an image of the final judgment of all Christians who come to partake of life in him. There at the banks of the Jordan River, the whole meaning of history is revealed, and there begins the ministry of Jesus through which that meaning will then be enacted and accomplished. The baptism of Christ is a baptism of true repentance, a ceremonial washing now endowed with power from on high to make someone truly new, to give them a new genesis. Jesus is baptized once to endow the waters with the grace of conversion, to bring us from far to near, to bring us from death to life, to bring us from sin into righteousness. Jesus is baptized to declare to the world the grace of adoption of the lapsed Israelite into true covenant faithfulness and of the foreigner into a true sonship with Abraham under the Father in heaven. When Jesus is baptized, he reveals the significance of John's baptism to answer the curiosity of those who wondered about it and also the significance of all partial baptisms that preceded it. Christ's baptism reveals the hidden thing that those rituals and all rituals by which we continually try to cleanse ourselves and to give ourselves new life sense and grasp and anticipate. The baptism of Christ also shows us what must soon now take place. The revelation of the Son of God is the announcement of his journey to the cross. The Spirit descends on our Lord and then will immediately lead him into the wilderness to confront and overcome the tempter, who will provoke him continually by saying, if you are the Son of God. What the Father declares at the river is the subject of the skeptical insults hurled at him by all the people at Calvary on Good Friday, the words we will all collectively utter in just a few short weeks, quote, if he is the Son of God, let him come down from the cross, and then we will believe. Yet the baptism also imparts the promise that Jesus will prevail over sin and death as the good pleasure of the Father is declared and promised in him. The voice of the Father magnifies the Son, who is always faithful to the Father. The baptism is the promise that as the old creation now descends into the floodwaters for the final time, that in Jesus, 
a new creation is already emerging. In our epistle, St. Paul's admonition to the Romans begins with the remembrance of this participation in Christ's baptism and the anointing we receive in the Spirit. Every call to a changed life depends on the graces that our Lord's baptism provides us in our own baptisms. Through baptism and confirmation, all Christians become present with Christ at the Jordan River and with his church in Jerusalem at Pentecost, receiving with them the graces and gifts imparted through those events. The use of those gifts that St. Paul then calls for is the Christian's participation in that theophany, in that great epiphany, in their dying to the old creation, and in their birth into the new. Whenever we use the gifts of the Spirit that have been given to us, we reveal the living grace of our conversion and of the anointing we have received. We reveal our share in the Son and the Spirit, and we reveal that we are God's children. Consequently, as God's children and partakers of God's life, we are called into the exercise of love for one another without dissembling or hypocrisy, because this is life as God knows it within himself and into which he now invites us. The love of God we receive is purposed to become in the end the character and the substance of all of our life. The life of the Christian is in the end the death of all that is not God's love and the resurrection into all that is God's love. The love of which we become capable as Christians, as Jesus reveals, overcomes the power of temptation, of sin, and of death, and draws us into communion with one another as we draw near to one another in communion with God. Lent and Good Friday are just ahead. Yet the epiphany at the Jordan reminds us that all that we need to prevail over sin and death are already provided to us in our Lord, provided that we remain with him and in him. In this time of celebration and the felt consolation of our Lord's presence with us, we are invited to remember these things in the manner of Mary, who treasures these things in her heart, and to trust in God. That when the days of fierce temptation and the deep perplexities of Gethsemane and Calvary confront us, we will remain steadfast in him. And then, when our time comes to cross the final river of our life in the hour of our death, we can do so in the knowledge that our Lord has already gone under those waters first. And that even there, he can find us and we can follow him out of those waters as he calls us up into the breath, that first breath of everlasting life and the joy of his father in his new creation. And immediately, coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. And then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, 
and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.